Welcome to the Ballistics Report podcast, where we mix our love of the NBA with statistical analysis. We're going to be looking at teams and players through a different lens. And as the season continues, we're going to be building a statistical model to show which teams and which players are going to excel during this year and which ones are going to fail. With that, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Eric. Hey, everybody. Happy holidays. Hope everybody's had some really good restful holidays. The NBA still is bumping right now. It is on fire. Um, I'm loving the games. I'm really excited for these Christmas Day games. Except Mm -hmm. I think there was like a Warriors game that they knocked off. I don't know what's going on with the Warriors broadcast right now, but they are not fun to watch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, we wanted to start today's broadcast, as usual, just talking about things around the league, things that we find really exciting. Wanted to jump into a little, a couple of trades. We, we haven't seen any trades really go on. And uh, there's a big reason why that Josh is going to talk about when we get to that segment. Uh, but we also want to talk about some big name trades that we think could potentially go down. And also just the general difficulty of finding real trades that work. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people propose trades and say, hey, this player would be good here or there or whatever. But when you actually go into that trade machine and start trying to make trades, it is really confusing and hard to tell what works and what doesn't. And then you start throwing in a couple of players that you're not super familiar with. And you're like, you know, does this even make sense for either, either one of the teams? Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive right into that. Before we get into that, we're going to go around the league like we normally do. We're going to go a couple of topics where we're kind of interested in and we're going to start actually off with a fan favorite player um, or for a lot of people and I'm a big <laughs> fan of him um, I know he's misunderstood uh, he has a scowl on his face almost all the time but he's one of my favorite players because of how relentless he is and just overall his energy on the floor and that's Russell Westbrook uh, I mean that's something that we talked about in our early episodes of him being on the Rockets with James Harden but now we're having a, 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 you know, a pretty sizable sample size uh, to see how he does within that offense. And so, uh, I mean, I'm excited to see what he does next. But, uh, you know, Eric, what do you think so far on, on Westbrook and, you know, the fact that he's, uh, he's played uh, 26 games now with, with the Rockets? Yeah, you know, Russell Westbrook is one of those, like you said, really controversial players. He's not my favorite player. I think mm-hmm. he's really inefficient, and he's just a really hard-nosed, great player that doesn't bring as much as his stats would say. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that like that's not an unpopular opinion, but I know some people would kind of look at me and be like, what the heck, this guy... They would scoff at triple, you. Yeah, average a triple-double twice. But, I mean, if you look at his shooting percentage, the way he shoots, the shots he takes a lot of them are pretty questionable and as much as I loved him playing alongside Kevin Durant during those early years I just never saw them really melding that well despite coming really close to the NBA finals a couple of times so uh, I, I, I do agree with you though Russell Westbrook is relentless and he is he is one of my favorite players be, just because of that I think he's inefficient and like you know, like Carmelo Anthony is inefficient in that yeah. way where I'm just like, this guy's not relentless, nor is he efficient. I got nothing with Carmelo. I'm like not a big Carmelo fan. Yeah. But Russell Westbrook, inefficient. But man, this guy will go at it. And yeah. that makes him just one of the best people ever to watch. See, the thing that I like about Russell Westbrook, and, and I here's the thing. I'm a fan of his, but I also agree with you. I think he's wildly inefficient. He takes bad shots. Like... The, the the I mean Russell Westbrook has that famous uh, quote right of uh, they asked him do you have friends on the court he's like the basketball is my friend <laughs> we see that in every game where he he assists a lot he gets a lot of assists but it doesn't necessarily translate into actual easy buckets for his team like he's he's not for a guy that's averaged uh, like 10.5 assists or so, or 10.4 assists uh, this this uh, last three seasons, he really forces it on people. Like he he either dumps it off to people at last minute or next to the cup. Like it, it's not very efficient. But one thing I will say, and I think he's 
the reason why I think he's a superstar, even if he's never going, like, I truly don't believe he's going to win a championship as your top two player. And I don't say it on because he doesn't have the talent. I think it's because he, he dictates too much on the, on, on the, um, on, on the floor. Uh, but the one thing I will say about him and I would take that teammate and pick up any day, you know, for a fact, when you're looking uh, at him, he's going 110%. He's never quitting. You may be down by 20 in his head. He's like, we're going to score 22, you know, like that's just his mentality. And I would love to play with a guy like that. And, you know, uh, truthfully, like I, I, I agree uh, that, you know, the triple doubles and the stats are a little, uh, a, a little, you know, overrated, but there is a crazy stat of uh, every, for his triple doubles when he was with the Thunder, uh, they won 70% of the time if Russell Westbrook got a triple double. Yeah. So that, I mean, that kind of tells you that at least with that level of production that he does win, I just don't think he can win meaningful games. Yeah. I, but speaking, the, the reason we wanted to bring him up was because he had this huge win against the Clippers where Houston, if I recall correctly, was trailing pretty badly most of the they game. They were, yeah. And James Harden was, you know, being James Harden. And actually, a weirdly, you know, when James Harden is efficient, scoring well on three-point line, you would expect them to win. Uh, so James Harden for this game was, let's see, I think he was like, five eight he was 50 percent from the field five of 11 from threes 28 points 10 assists mm-hmm. and you would have thought that would be enough from james harden to win this game but it really took wessel westbrook to take over that game for them to win and this yeah. man put up 40 points 10 rebounds five assists uh he shot 12 13 for free throws uh, a couple of those pretty clutch free throws two of six on threes which is you know right about his range and then he shot a lot, 13 of 31, but he was really the one that brought them back in. So uh, as much as, you know, like as much as I think he's inefficient because he plays so hard, he does all the small things. He, 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 he's always going for the ball, like 10 rebounds that, you yeah. know, he's going for the ball right there. He's a point guard with 10 rebounds. Uh, that's why I think he's still a proven winner. And, mm-hmm really why I wanted to talk about him because I've been, I've been impressed with the way that he has adjusted his game to really match Harden's and allow Harden to take over when Harden's feeling it and to become kind of the Robin, but like, you know, like a guy that will pick it up and become the Batman if needed. I guess it's two Batman instead of a Batman and a Robin, if I'm being real here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, we like when we had the pre-show and we were talking about things to talk about, like Russell Westbrook uh, actually came to mind right before we, we got on. But the, the truth of the matter is both of us have just been so impressed because as you said, he's not just a Robin. I would say he's like a green lantern to a Batman, you know? So like (laughs) (laughs) incredibly powerful, but maybe not like the guy that you want saving the day or he's going to save the day all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, But the thing, again, absolutely what you said about the Clippers, like just kind of hearkening on that. The reason why uh, James Harden, even though he he shot well and, you know, for the most part had a good game, is that a lot of teams, and especially the Clippers, what they did was they actually doubled James Harden above mm-hmm. the three-point line and made it very difficult for him to get any shots off. So that's mm-hmm. why he actually didn't shoot all that much comparatively to what he would normally do. And that actually allowed Russell Westbrook to be very aggressive because he was like, if they're going to double up at the top of the three-point line, that means there are going to be angles that he can do hard cuts in. And that's exactly what he did. And he just put so much pressure. Like, that's, again, why I'm a fan of Russell Westbrook because, like, he may be one of 10 or one of 11, but he's thinking, I'm about to be two of 12. You know, Mm -hmm. like, he's Mm – he's taking those shots because he legitimately believes that he's going to make the next one. And because uh, he never lets his foot off the gas, I think that actually plays in their favor when they're in close games. Uh, No, sorry. In games where they need scoring, because like if people sag off on him, 
he's he's going to take that shot. He's going to be relentless and aggressive. And there's going to be a point that he's going to start making those, you know? Yeah. And, and at that point, you're kind of done because as soon as he starts making jump shots, uh, that means the, the basket's wide open. And he is one of the most athletic and aggressive people going to the basket. Like, he looks angry at the rim every time. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking of people who went, like, that are a little rusty and, and just need a couple shots to get warmed up, I really want to talk about Christoph Porzingis. Yeah. Um, again, me and J- Josh are total Mavs homers, so we're not only talking about the Mavs all the time, but we do watch Christoph and Luca a lot. So we've been watching a lot of Kristaps uh, Porzingis, especially the way that he's had to carry teams um, and, and again, this, this is the same relationship where Luca is the number one. He's the Batman. And I mm-hmm. guess Christoph Porzingis, we're using the same analogy here, is Green Lantern. And this is a guy that has typically been a, a phenomenal player. He's the unicorn for a reason, mm-hmm. but just has not really picked it up this season for a very good reason. He hasn't played basketball in 20 months. Yeah. Like, so what do you like? I think the expectations are a little bit high, but. With Luca out, uh, I think he's been he's he's really picked up the load. I think he's finally found that rhythm, uh, or is finally bringing that rhythm back, finally mm-hmm. bringing that energy back. And and I'm I'm just I've been excited watching him without Luca, despite how much it hurts to to not have Luca uh, under the stretch of I think it was the Celtics, the Clippers. No, sorry, the Celtics, the 76ers, the Bucks and the Raptors. So yeah. they beat the Clippers. Uh, sorry, why do I keep on saying Clippers? They beat <laughs> the Bucks. Yeah, dropped, which was huge. It was huge, right? They broke that win streak. Mm-hmm. Um, they dropped one against the Celtics, but mm-hmm. very narrowly. Yeah. Uh, they beat the 76ers in a blowout, basically. And then today they lost against the Raptors after leading by 30 points, which is just like kind of like, uh, let's not talk about that right now. It's yeah. still a little sore. <laughs> But Kristoff has been playing out of his mind for those for for that stretch. Yeah, I the thing about Kristoff's Porzingis, I mean, as you said before, I mean, he's been out for 22 months before the season started. Like, I, I think people don't realize he missed the entire 2018 season and half of the 2017 season. Like, mm-hmm. it's that's a lot of time of not playing professional basketball um, and not. I, I don't think it's even rust. I think it's just him not trusting his body yet. Like it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, oh, what if I go up for a dunk? Even though he's been aggressive and he's done it, but there is certain times where I feel like he's been very hesitant to shoot it or very hesitant to really like be that, that guy. Because I, I think, I, I truly believe if Luca and Kristaps sat down and Kristaps like, hey man, give me the ball force it to me and I will make those shots. I will do it. I think yeah. Luca would do it. Uh, I, I think Luca would, would play off of Kristaps more just so that Kristaps would get that, that uh, uh, confidence back. But in this like happenstance of Luca being gone, I think Kristaps is like, okay, I can't wait in the wings anymore. I can't not be aggressive. I got to be that guy. And I, I think he's doing it. Like, they're uh, like against the 76ers. He had 22 points and 18 rebounds on 10 of 19 shooting and two from six from three. Like, yeah, like I, I think he could have done even better, but the fact is he played within the game. He was aggressive at, at the right places and uh, going for those rebounds, are, I think are huge. Like he, since Luca's been out, he has not had a below uh, double digit rebounds like yeah. that. That just tells me that he took a backseat to Luca because Luca was was averaging double digits in in rebounds. I think now he's like, that's my job now. I'm the seven mm-hmm. three unicorn. I'm gonna go up and get those shots. Um, and he's also been killing it on the blocks. I mean, he's always already been doing that in general. Even when Luca was there, uh, like I, when Luca was there against the Pelicans, Kristaps uh, had five blocks, so that's pretty amazing. But um, since Luca's gone down, he hasn't had below two blocks in a game. Like he's that's at, crazy. yeah. So the Heat, he had two. Bucks, he had two. Celtics, he had three. Seventy Sixers, he had three. And today against the Raptors, he had three. So, he, you know, 
he just has all of the talent and the ability. And I think now he's having to like put it together and be like, you, you know, I, I can't wait in the wings. I can't just, you know, watch Luca magic. I have to be what they brought here, brought me here to be as well as paid <laughs> me five years, 150 million, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm loving it. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I didn't think we were going to win this whole stretch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, legitimately. I, I, um, I thought we were going to lose against the Bucks. I thought we had a good chance against the Celtics. I thought we were going to lose against the 76ers. And I thought the Raptors was going to be a coin flip. Um, yep. And the fact that we got the Bucks and we got the 76ers is actually huge in my mind. Cause that means like the, the teams that I think have the best chance of coming out of the East, we have a chance against because with Kristaps being aggressive and then hopefully Luca also being aggressive in that time. Uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm not predicting the Mavs get out of the West, but it makes me at least say like, we, we may not be a championship t- uh, team today, but going forward, we could see it. Yeah. And, and just one more thing about Kristaps and his unicornness or, well, you know, whatever you want to call it, that, element of him being a unicorn is that this is a 7-3 dude that okay like he didn't have stellar rebound numbers before but credit Luca to helping Kristaps understand not just like how to like a lot of his grabbing rebounds is like oh someone else is gonna grab it but you know mm-hmm. when you when you have that mindset that kind of bystander effect for rebounds sometimes you're gonna miss a couple you should just go grab if you if you can grab them grab them right yeah, you know, Carmelo Anthony. He went. He, he tells everybody to get the heck out of the way because yeah. he wants to grab it. He doesn't want to have any more mistakes. Like, I'm getting this rebound. It's not about the stats. It's about securing that rebound. Mm-hmm. And Kristaps is securing rebounds now, right? And that's why his rebound numbers are up. And 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 so again, like the unicornness is a seventy seven foot three dude who can shoot threes off the bounce from range, which he did twice in a row against the Bucks and basically just de- deflated the entire Bucks comeback. Oh, yeah. They had a rally at the end. Um, and, then, and then this is a good dude who can block shots and be a rim protector and is like a very good shot blocker. And, you know, like rim protector is... Uh, the rim protector stat doesn't always tie to the, to the uh, block stat, but um, I think he is one of the top rim protectors right now in the league. Um, so he's just doing every single thing, and that's what makes him the unicorn. And that's what makes him a very promising player to slot alongside Luka Doncic. Uh, and that's why I think the Mavs uh, have a very, very promising future. Absolutely, man. I'm obviously we're in agreement. We're super excited as homers, but uh, you know, only time will tell, you know, yeah. uh, hopefully um, Luka comes back strong. And then I, I think we still need a third. I think the the Mavericks need um, either guard or uh uh, maybe even just a tough uh, rim running center, but just someone that like can, can be in there and, and help out with everything. So, yeah. you know, again, we'll see, we'll, we'll really see. Uh, but that being said, um, we should go into our next topic, which is the Suns and the wolves, the Suns and the wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so promising. So promising. Yeah. I know a couple weeks ago we talked about this and how we were surprised about the Suns and the wolves. And uh, we were like, wow, they look like a competent team and they seem like they're putting it all together. And then four weeks happen. And then we see what, uh, how we were wrong, but more importantly, how uh, I think, other teams are figuring out, uh, uh, are figuring them out, both the Suns and the Wolves, uh, respectively. Um, but yeah, Eric, like, uh, wh- why don't you go through like what your thoughts are? Yeah, so I was super excited for the Suns. I thought they were actually real. I was watching Aaron Bain step it up. I was watching Ricky Rubio. Um, we had Kelly Oubre and uh, Devin Booker. They're all playing really well. Uh, I think. Devin Booker's been out a couple of games too, which have hurt their chances. But I, I just, I don't know. I think the, if you just look at the makeup of that team, you don't think that that would be a very good team. Just looking yeah. at the individual players, their play styles, you would say, ah, this is not a very good team. But then they started off the season hot 
and you're like, maybe they got it figured out, right? Every mm-hmm. once in a while, a team comes by with a completely new formula that no one's ever seen before, and they figure it out, and you have to start dissecting it. Like, why is this working for them? Why is this working so well? Just like mm-hmm. Warriors ball. No one thought that this five-person lineup of pe- everyone under 6'9 or below would be able to win championships shooting the three ball. And yet, here we are in this day and age of Warriors basketball, that, that blueprint trying to be followed by a ton of teams. So I was super excited to see, may, hey, maybe the Suns did figure out something new. Maybe they are using Devin Booker in the best way possible. They found a way to unlock Ricky Rubio's potential. And then they have all these role players that perfectly fit together. Um, I just think that, that it, they had a couple of good runs and it was just they're real, real streaky and they're just back to who they are. I, I, I'm going to go back to this, you know, like hindsight is 2020, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if the Suns are winning today, be all in on the Suns. But I think a big weakness of them, of theirs, is honestly Ricky Rubio's lack of shooting. Yeah. Because that is a shooting heavy team, and they've got even Aaron Baines shooting at a decent clip. So if Ricky Rubio, um, we got to go look at the stats, but I, I, I just don't think he's been shooting well enough. No one's respecting his shot enough. He's not assertive enough on taking shots. And so that's really hurting the Suns' chances, despite all the good things that Ricky Rubio has brought to this team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think one of the big problems that they're having is spacing. Like uh, Devin Booker, Aaron Baines, like they're they're shooting, but the moment that they have less than uh, three shooters, like legitimately, you can tell that their offense does not look right. Um, and just to kind of give you. Um, some some background yet yeah, i think in the last 10 games uh devin booker has only played about seven um and he's he's scoring at a decent uh, uh rate at 24.9 but he has like three turnovers um not a lot of rebounds his assists are uh, it, it's about seven so it's good but his uh field goal percentage and three-point percentage went down quite a bit like i'm talking on field goal and 7% on three pointers. So he's not being efficient. Uh, Like it, it, it just seems like he is, um, he hasn't been able to uh, keep up his production from earlier in the season. And so I I think that's hurting them. And I think they just need, I, I think Ricky Rubio really helped them from a professionalism standpoint, but they really need, like either a Tyler Johnson or a Ty Jerome, like other point guards that are good at shooting to really step up in, in these moments and kind of help Devin Booker from, uh, you know, being on the wing and, or um, in the corners, like being able to shoot threes and, and uh, space the floor out a little bit more uh, for Devin Booker to work. Um, but I, I also think that they're, they're kind of a weirdly constructed team. Uh, that that's not really built for, you know, I, I'll say this. I was, I, I thought they looked very competent, but I also think, especially now, as you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think they're still a hodgepodge of a team. It's better than how the Knicks were constructed, mm-hmm. but it's not that much better. If you really look at their roster up and down, like I, I don't really see the the names on there other than Devin Booker Kelly Oubre and uh, uh, Ricky Rubio of like really competent starters. Uh, and even Ricky Rubio is, uh, is, is kind of shaky on that. Yeah. And, and I think everything that we've just said applies exactly to the Timberwolves. Yeah. Um, the, the difference I think is Andrew Wiggins is still playing pretty phenomenally. Like yeah. this guy is still playing really well. Uh, he had a 40-point game against the Warriors that mm-hmm. went into overtime <laughs> Yeah, against the Warriors. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think, like, really the problem is the Wolves' role players are just not doing well. Yeah. They have just this really strange construction with, like, Corgi Dang. Like, if you look at the roster, it's just not a lot of shooters. Their spacing's not there. I don't it, – it's, it's like, if you look at them, it's not – you're just not too sure what you would do with a lot of these players. Yeah. What role do they fit? Uh, pretty good defense for the most part. Not a lot of shooters. So where do they go from here, right? 
And then uh, this is a team that's been in the dumps for a while and they've been developing some of their young talent. They've missed on a bunch of people. They have Carl Anthony Towns, who is uh, an all-star. They have Mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins finally playing to the level that they thought he would. So maybe it's time for the Wolves to blow up everything else and build around these two, confidently build around these two, right? exactly. And I think that's kind of what they were doing in the beginning. They were like, oh my gosh, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, great players. We're going to win games around them. And then they started realizing we just don't have the personnel around them to win because that's what you're kind of seeing now. They just don't have the personnel around these two star players to win versus a team like, well, I'll just go back to the Mavericks where they had the right personnel around the Mavericks or even the Raptors. They mm-hmm. had the right personnel around Kawhi Leonard and I guess Pascal Siakam kind of came into his own to be a championship level or even a, a contending team. And yeah. so I, I think the Wolves have a lot of work to do on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, if Andrew Wiggins keeps this up for the entire season and we can say definitively that Andrew Wiggins is going to be who we thought he was, then I think the Wolves have a good chance. But right now the way their roster is constructed, um, they've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I mean, like, unfortunately, um, like I'm looking at their record, um, They've lost every game in December. Yeah, they're uh, 10 of 18. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're 10 of 18, but they lost 10 straight. And they've, they've lost every game in December. And it's not like Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns have put up duds. They're, they're, Andrew Wiggins is averaging 25 points a game for the, the uh, month of December, and Carl Anthony Towns is, is averaging 27. Uh, yeah. But the one thing I will say for um, both of them is that their turnovers are astronomical. (laughs) So uh, Andrew Wiggins is at 3.1 and then uh, Carl Anthony Towns is at 2.6. You know, and and when I say astronomical, I don't mean like this is the worst in the world. I mean, uh, what's his name? Steve Nash averaged like three a game for his, uh, his MVP years, but um well i think one of them he did like 2.1 but still um what what i'm saying is they're i think they're still young and they're still careless and that may play into it but to your point i i really agree with you that it is supporting cast it's just that jeff teague is not able to be the competent player that they need they don't have shooters to really open up things like i really thought that they would play jake layman more and he's had some burn, uh, but he uh, I don't think he's been exactly what they wanted. Um, they, they just don't have the, the personnel. Like, um, I, I know that they have Robert Covington, who's been okay, uh, but they need, they need more. Um, to your point, I actually and, – and we're about to actually get into trades, but I would actually like to float something to you and see what you think. This is something that just came up. What do you think about like if they if Andrew Wiggins and two first round picks or maybe one even were traded for Ben Simmons and it would be a one for one essentially with some draft picks uh switching teams. You know, I I uh I am just not very high on Ben Simmons. Okay. Um, I forgot so- someone had a very harsh comment about Ben Simmons. They're never going to win with Ben Simmons. He hasn't elevated his offensive game. I think that's an, a huge net negative for the Timberwolves, quite honestly, okay. especially with the way that Wiggins is picking it up. Yeah. Um, I know, like, traditionally you would, you, would, you would love to see it because it makes sense that you have this point forward next to Carl Anthony Towns, who's this very mobile center. So mm-hmm. in, in that sense, it works. But because Ben Simmons doesn't shoot, can't shoot, has no mid-range game, and already with the roster they've got constructed, it would just—I think it would make everything worse. For the 76ers, I think that's a stellar. I think that's a stellar trade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would love to see Anthony Wiggins play alongside the likes of Joel Embiid. Yeah, um, I think that that like Joel Embiid is—he's um, basically like uh, very similar to Carl Anthony Towns, mm-hmm. and the rest of the roster around them is very good. So. Um, I think the 76ers are much better constructed than the, the Wolves. And I would love to see Wiggins finally be able to play 
in a system that suits him. And I, I, we, I don't, I think that's a problem too. We're not mm-hmm. quite sure what that is yet. Yeah. Cause he hasn't really been given a, a great chance. I, I true, think the true. Timberwolves front office hasn't been great, but yeah. um, you know, yeah. uh, well, I, I think it'd be why, interesting. Yeah. The reason why I like it is that I think Carl Anthony Towns is a better shooter, like from three point range than, uh, than Joel Embiid. Joel. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think and so. um, I, I think as well, Carl Anthony Towns would, I wouldn't say defer, but allow Ben Simmons to be a point guard and be like, hey, you be our magic, and then I'll be your your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't think, because I actually really like the 76ers in general. Like, I think Joel Embiid uh, can be, like, the best center in the league. I think Ben Simmons uh, has talent, but I agree with you. I don't think he's actually raised his game enough to actually be what they need. And I'm just wondering if the Timberwolves would be better with someone that is aggressive point guard going to Mm -hmm. like slam it down or like work with Carl Anthony Towns on the pick and roll, like be like vicious with it. Like I, that's why I think that, but I agree with you. After like hearing it, I agree actually that Andrew Wiggins would be a huge elevator for for the 76ers and mm-hmm. it may be a net negative for for the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you want to you want to take a quick break. We'll uh chill out for a little bit and then we'll come back with the actual trades that we've been proposing and let's 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 hash it out, see which uh which trades work. Welcome back, everybody. We are super excited to get into the main meat of our podcast today, and that is playing with the trade machine. Uh, Josh and I have been spending a lot of time messing around with the ESPN trade machine, which is a pretty cool little tool, but it's also really frustrating because NBA trade rules on the surface seem pretty simple, but then you get to these weird edge cases, player exceptions, bird rights, all this type of stuff, and you're just like, I can't make these trades work. None of these trades look good. And it just gets super frustrating. Uh, but we do have a couple of trades lined up. We took some big name players that have been on the block or there are rumors about the block. And we've tried experimenting around with actual trades to see how they would work, if they would work, and if they would make sense for everyone. The one thing that I will say is Mark Cuban had this really great blog post about trades where he said, 90% of the trades that are proposed in the wild that you read about through the rumor mill 90% of those are completely bunk and have never gone across a GM's desk. And the other 90% of actual trades out there that GMs are actually talking about, 90% of those don't get done. And there's a reason for that because these things are really tough to execute. They're really hard to pull off. Everyone wants to you know, win in the trade. It's really hard to get an even trade. Um, but here are a couple that uh, Josh and I think make a lot of sense. Um, I'll start off with Kevin Love. And then, Josh, you want to jump into afterwards, you can talk about your trade with DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, absolutely. The the forwards first. Well, let me give a little context to kind of show how wonky everything's been. So there hasn't been a trade, just to give you guys context, there hasn't been a trade in the NBA since the Russell Westbrook-Chris Paul trade. Like that is, I think, about five months without any more NBA trades. So July until now. Uh, and the reason for that is actually uh, something pretty spectacular where because teams are like jockeying for uh, 2021 and that's when Giannis, LeBron, and I believe like two other players are going to be uh, free agents. Uh, people are trying to keep their, their uh, cap space for that. Um, and so we have a lot of teams that, that picked up uh, one-year one year players. And um, so we, had, we saw 40% of the league has switched teams. Mm-hmm. So 40% of players have changed teams. And uh, one thing that they have is called a trade moratorium for those contracts. And so those didn't expire. The moratorium for those new contracts didn't expire until – December 15th. 
So now all these players that were signed to one-year deals, two-year deals, uh, just this offseason are finally able to be traded. So uh, I think that's a huge, huge boon. Like, obviously, I wasn't expecting any, um, like, gigantic trades early, uh, early in the season, anything like that. But just the fact that no, like, backup players or – um, you know, mid-level stars got traded just to shake up the league is huge. It, it, it's pretty big. And so, yeah, so for both Eric and I, we're excited to actually talk about a lot of the players that have been on the trade block, have been talked about being on the trade block, and even just talking about how difficult it is. Like We, we struggle to find good trades for these, these quality players. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll start right off with Kevin Love. Um, one potential rumored trade destination is the Phoenix Suns. We just talked about how the Phoenix Suns, they were just kind of at the cusp of uh, playoff contention, and then they lost that momentum. So I think they have a lot of incentive to trade for a big-name player like Kevin Love, who is not quite at the twilight of his career, I would say. Um, he's still putting up, He can still put up some big games. He can still offer that rebounding and shooting that a lot of the teams need, and also that veteran presence that I think the the Suns need a lot of. So uh, one proposed trade I had was Kevin Love for um, Tyler Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. Uh, you're probably looking at that trade and you're like, who, who, what? <laughs> why would, why, why does that make sense for either of these teams? And to be honest, like, I think it makes sense for the, uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers because Tyler Johnson, even though his production has been down, is on a one-year contract, so they can clear up, I think, uh, looks like 19 million of cap space. And then Mikhail Bridges is a young, developing player. And I would hope that the Phoenix Suns are willing to part with these two players in order to get what I would expect a vastly superior player in Kevin Love who can space the floor uh, and rebound. So that was my first proposed trade for the Suns. I'm not super comfortable with it. I don't think a front office looks at it and says immediately, like, this makes sense for both teams. But, you know, it is a, it kind of an intriguing perspective for both for a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers who are willing to offload a, a massive Kevin Love contract uh, mm-hmm. to get some younger players and hopefully clear up some cap space in the upcoming years. Yeah, and I think another thing, I, I think one thing the Suns would probably throw in is a first-round pick. And yeah. I, I think that's actually fair when you look at it of, the Cavaliers will not have three years left on that Kevin Love deal. And I, while I think Kevin Love is still a quality player, you don't want to be paying him $90 million in the next three years for 18 and 11, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that's the truth. Like I, as much as I love him, I think he can be a quality player on a, on a championship team or, or a contending team. Like that's hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, the Cleveland Cavaliers were a team that was constructed around LeBron James for the past, mm-hmm. you know, three or four years. For LeBron James to come in and literally win a championship and hopefully he stays. Yeah. And so that you could see the aftermath of it. Unless you stick another LeBron James back in there, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And so I think the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're, you know, they're, uh, they have a very stubborn front office. Um, and they were saying, we're going to stick to our guns. You know, Kevin Love has been loyal to us. He's won championships for us. This is a guy that we brought in that we want and we love. Let's sign him to a big deal. Yeah. And again, everybody looked at that deal and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> this doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and I think they're kind of regretting it right now. And they would rather develop their younger players and Colin mm-hmm. Sexton. Um, Darius Garland. Darius and, uh, Garland, right. I was yeah. trying to remember who they picked up last yeah, year. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Porter Jr. So, like, a lot of the, the young guards that need more touches than uh, going through Kevin Love on the post, you know? So, I, yeah. I get it. And here's the thing. Like, the reason why Cleveland also signed uh, Kevin Love to this deal, it's easier to trade a player with a longer contract knowing that you can control his, his rights, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if he got to free agency and he commanded even like a two year, $70 million contract where there are some teams that would have paid him that because they think that he could possibly give you like 22 or 23. And there, there, there are teams that are like not very good and they'd need a star player or someone that they believe can be a star player. There, there were going to be those teams. So I, I think, 
Cleveland hedged their bets and now they're going to try to find first round picks and expiring contracts and at least one young player. And I, I think the trade that you proposed did it all of those. Yeah. So like the, the thing about Kevin Love is he is only going to a team that is a possible contender. There's no teams kind of at the bottom of the barrel that says, Oh, we're willing to pick up a, a, a four year Kevin Love contract. Yeah. So, so the other team that, uh, so let, let me give you a caveat. First off, uh, some people have said that, sorry, no, never mind. That's for Drew Holiday. <laughs> never mind. I was saying Drew Holiday is, was uh, in the running for the Clippers, but we'll talk about that after, about why I don't think he's a good fit and why it doesn't work with all the pieces that are on the Clippers. Um, yeah. But a big rumor that's been going around is Kevin Love to the Portland Trailblazers, um, which I think is a phenomenal trade. Makes a lot of sense if they can get the right deal. So. Yeah here's one stupid deal and then one good deal <laughs> for the Portland Tra- Trailblazers. I'll talk about both. And then Josh, I'd love your input on both of them. Yeah. Um, they could just straight up swap Hassan Whiteside for Kevin Love, you know, big for a big, you look at it, they kind of match up. I'll, I'll tell you why I think this is a stupid deal. It doesn't make sense really for anyone. Hassan Whiteside <laughs> is playing really, really well for the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. And I don't think he would play well for the Cleveland Cavaliers because he needs an inside, he needs an outside in game to be successful, and uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers with Kevin Love gone would not have enough of that. And then Kevin Love coming in to be a potential, you know, like forward center, he wouldn't be able to provide that uh, rim protection on kind of like a weak post defensive um, uh, line over over in Portland. Yeah. So. I thought that was just kind of a fun trade because, you know, <laughs> they kind of offset each other out. They're just like good players. And you're like, maybe the swap for each other, their salaries kind of match up. But I don't think it makes sense for anyone. The second trade that I think is really interesting is you got Kent Bazemore, Nurkic, who's been injured. And then just like kind of like salary cap fillers like Hazonia, who's been playing like pretty decent, someone that you can develop for the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, for Kevin Love. So that brings a lot of youth into the uh, into the, the the Cavs. The problem is Kent Bazemore is a shooting guard, so you know it kind of clutters up their guard lineup. If you really want to develop some of those younger folks, um, Yusuf Nurkic is obviously injured right now, uh, and he actually could be a pretty big impact player as a backup right beside Hassan Whiteside. But honestly, if, if you're saying like the most valuable players are, I mean, Kent Bazemore and Nurkic and Hazonia all, all have kind of their own niches in Portland. Uh, I would still rather have Kevin Love there because of yeah. his ability to shoot, his rebounding, his veteran presence. I think across the board, Kevin Love is much better than those three other players. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear about this trade. And honestly, if you think the Hassan Whiteside trade is good, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that one. I, uh, so I, I, I agree with you that the Whiteside trade and the love trade would actually not be good. And the, and the reason why is a lot of what you said as well, because I think Whiteside's playing well. Uh, I, I mean, he's doing 16 and 13. Um, and while I think he's overpaid for that, that production, He's exactly what they need, considering he's also putting in um, 2.4 blocks. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's the center that you want, especially for a team like Portland, which is not known for their, their defense. And they would be giving up defense for Kevin Love, who's never been a good defensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of it is that Hassan Whiteside is a very particular player. Like, when he did the best for Miami – he was motivated. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be motivated in Cleveland. And I get mm-hmm. it. They're not, they're not trying to win or they're, they wouldn't really care, but you're taking on two, well, a year this year and next year for Whiteside. Like that is a lot to take on to not uh, to, to get rid of Kevin Love, who's been a great locker room guy who's a great veteran presence, who cares a lot about his young guys. Um, and, and just overall, you, you at least like him. A lot of people didn't like Whiteside in uh, Miami. And I think he's, he's just making friends or just being okay in, in uh, Portland because 
he's playing well, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to say he's a bad guy, but he, he's been told in organizations that he's a very selfish player, and that rubs people the wrong way. And if he's not motivated, it's going to be a bad idea for the young players to get that sort of exposure instead of a guy like Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. Going into your second point, our second trade, I really, really like it, but the only thing is I think the Trailblazers are really high on Nurkic. Like, mm-hmm. I think they think mm-hmm. that's their center of the future. Like, they're, I, I, I think they're going to get to the end of the year, keep Whiteside and Nurkic, but then trade Whiteside uh, or hope that he, he gives up his player option, but, like, I don't think they're going to keep him. Oh, so yeah. I, okay. Yeah, I that's what I've heard. I I don't know if uh they'll say differently now that Whiteside is actually, you know, again, 16 and 13 is really good with 2.4 mm-hmm. blocks. Like that's that's what Miami was hoping when they signed Whiteside to that huge contract. Um but I I think just from your perspective or from your trade, I really like it. And the reason why is Kent Bazemore He's a, a, a good locker room guy. He has one year left at $20 million, you know, or close to $20 million. That's a huge amount to get rid of. And then Nurkic and Hazonia only make about $14 million next year, like combined. Mm-hmm. That's not bad considering that you would get rid of, uh, uh, you, you would get rid of another $15 million of what Kevin Love is owed next year. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like it. Uh, and I actually think the Portland Trailblazers will do a lot better. Like I know when we did this uh, trade or I'm looking at your trade machine and it says that the, the um, Trailblazers would win four more games with Kevin Love. I actually think it would be more. And the reason why is because with Mello, with um, McCollum and Lillard, I think they're going to have one of the most – complete offensive uh like complete offensive teams that you can have like good shooters a good post presence in both mellow and love and mm-hmm. you're gonna have guys that can play really well off each other like kevin love's already shown even in this year he's shown that he's willing to play within the offense he doesn't want to just be the number one guy he rather win than do 25 26 a game and 12 and 13 rebounds like he's he is showing that he's willing to make those those sacrifices, and I think that would be really good for Portland. Yeah, I I, I didn't know that the the Trailblazers were, Trailblazers were so high on Nurkic. Uh, so one thing that just a caveat that the trade machine doesn't take into account is that Nurkic has been injured, probably won't come back in 2019, so his PR is not available. Yeah. Um. So, like, yeah, I I think that we have to take that Hollinger's analysis on the trade machine with a grain of salt, but yeah. I I do think that. Kevin Love is some if the if the Portland Trailblazers plan to keep Nurkic and drop Hassan Whiteside after this year, then absolutely the trade doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I I think that's that's one of the things that also makes the trade machine so hard because you have to keep track of all the front offices and how they feel about all their players. Yeah, me watching and just knowing these players just generally without reading the news about everyone it's really hard for me to make the call of whether or not the front office thinks Kent Bazemore is one of their, like it's going to back up CJ McCollum or, you know, maybe they want to trade CJ McCollum and have Kent Bazemore be the shooting guard. You know, like there's all these variables thrown into these trade machines. And when you're selecting players, sometimes you pick up random players and you're like, Oh, they're just going to, you just throw them in to make the salary cap fit. And then, and then you get some news from like Josh or something and say like, oh man, actually you use of Nurkic is a pretty important player for the Blazers. Yeah. What are you doing? So I think trade machine is, um, trades are super, super hard to pull off. Um, but I had a lot of fun playing around with the, the Kevin Lund one for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear about your trades for DeMar DeRozan because I feel like it's kind of a similar player and it's a veteran player, uh, typically very good but do they have a spot in today's NBA and, and what type of contenders are, are really looking for these, these types of players right now? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so difficult because DeMar DeRozan is like a throwback, right? I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, like he's the kind of guy that he would have been an all-star hall of famer in the nineties, just because he, he dominates the, the, uh, the two point shot, the mid, uh, the, 
mid-range. Yeah, the mid-range. Sorry, <laughs> I know it was a loss for it. But, yeah, he dominated the mid-range. He, he could get to the cup. He was athletic. He's just overall one of those players that you feel like could really do well. But that's a, a bygone of this era, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a bygone era of, of uh, that kind of player. So uh, that, so this made it difficult. I, I think DeMar DeRozan was easier than the other player that I picked. I, and I'll get in that, uh, get into that uh, soon, but so kind of give you the context of what I was trying to do. I looked at the teams that already said they had interest in him. And then I, I looked at what are the players that I think could work and mm-hmm. what players uh, are, are so like um, also to see what players may fit with the Spurs. Cause that's, that's the other big thing. Greg Popovich doesn't trade trade players or trade for players unless he believes that he's getting the best in return, you know, um, or he could be salty, like how he didn't trade Kawhi to the clip or sorry, to the Lakers, because he didn't want to give the Lakers Kawhi. So there could be that. But yeah, going into my first one. So I have DeMar DeRozan actually going to Orlando. And then the Spurs would actually get um, Al Farouk Aminu, uh, which I think he would fit perfectly in the Spurs organization. Mm -hmm. DJ Augustine, who I think is a very good point guard and would be a um, good addition or veteran presence, even though I don't think he would stay there. Uh, I, I think he would eventually be jettisoned for something else. And then actually Mo Bamba. And uh, here's the reason. I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, what, do you, what are you doing? Like, why are you adding Mo Bamba? Considering like he's not having a bad year, to be honest. Uh, but I don't, I think the Magic do this for a couple of reasons. I think they're closer to a win now mode than they are a development mode because of the the uh, signings that they made this past year, like Minu and a couple other players. Uh, I think they also got like Andrew Nicholson and 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 uh, also signing uh, Nikola Vucevic uh, for a long term contract. Uh, so I think they they realize that they need to go for broke because winning one playoff game against the eventual champs last year, I think gave them enough confidence to like, okay, we can compete. We don't have LeBron in the East. Let's try uh, and see what we can do. And DeMar DeRozan, it would be at least a 20 to 25 point score for them. Give good leadership. A lot of people say DeMar's a great teammate, a uh, great locker room presence. So bringing him in from a professional standpoint, I think will be good. And then also him uh, being able to mentor Markel Fultz and play off of Vucevic, I think is going to be huge. Uh, but yeah, I would love to hear what your thoughts are before I get into the next one. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. All your points make sense. Um, the Orlando Magic are kind of on the cusp of the playoffs right now. Uh, and they're kind of a cuspy team. They, they need to make a move. They need to make a splash. Uh, Bamba was, you know, uh, early draft pick from last year, I believe. And yeah, he just, 2018 draft. he's been playing okay, but yeah, again, I don't think he's the right player, uh, lengthy center that eh, can't really shoot threes, uh, provide some, uh, rim defense. Like he, he, he has a place in the league, but if the Orlando magic want to do something, they need to make a big splash and they need a consistent yeah. score next to Aaron Gordon, uh, next to Vucevic. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, and, and just to give you context, uh, Mo Bamba is scoring six points a game, grabbing 5.3 rebounds, uh, but his PER is about 15.3, which is about an mm-hmm. average player. How many minutes is he playing right now? He's playing he 15.5. Yeah, so, so solid, solid production from a second-year big man. Yeah, it's definitely solid, but I don't think they have the time nor the will or the personnel – to really train him to be a competent um, player. But I think yeah. the Spurs actually do have yeah. uh, have that. So that's why I like it. Yeah, and so Alfarik Amino, I think, is a – like you said, he is a core um, Popovich kind of guy, 3 and D. Yeah. Uh, very developable. I mean, he's, he's like – I don't think he's that young anymore. He's kind of like – I think he's 30. 30, yeah. So he's got a – I mean, and his deal doesn't look that great. But yeah. honestly, uh, you take on Alfarik Aminu, um, who's going to give you steady production and that can play a role around whatever direction that the Spurs go towards, which 
they just need to they just need to re redo it right they need to hit the reset button at this point it's very clear yeah you got dj augustine that comes in mentors um some of your players uh he's on a one-year contract so that's another seven million off your books mm-hmm. you got mo bamba who's on a rookie right yeah um, exactly two-year three-year deal three-year deal on, on six million so I, I think like it makes sense for the Spurs because I think the Spurs are, I hate to say this about DeMar DeRozan because I respect him so much, but I think the Spurs are just ready to move on from DeMar. Yeah. He's just, I, I, I think a lot of people when they watch him, they're like, this is the Popovich guy. He's very coachable. Mm-hmm. He's a great presence. He's got that mid range, but I, I, I just don't think that the Popovich system is just working in this NBA anymore. And he, uh, he is a hell of a coach, and he has done so much to keep his dream alive, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and developed his teams to be able to play this mid-rangey game. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's time for him to rethink things. The NBA, the rules have changed. The pace has changed. Everything has changed. Um, the Spurs with Duncan, Manu, and Parker are, are long gone. I, I just don't think that they can contend anymore with uh, with players like DeMar and LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah. Both players who I love and respect. So it hurts me. It, it like actually hurts me to say these things about those players. Um, yeah. So I like, I like that trade for DeMar. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm with you. Like the Spurs are kind of on the downhill and their, their biggest problem they have right now is defense. And I think Aminu and Bamba at least help with that. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, going, going on, cause I have, uh, two more trades for DeMar and, uh, I'll actually, let me, let me all package them together. Cause, uh, you know, just for the sake of time. Um, so I have DeMar DeRozan going the heat actually for James Johnson and Dion waiters. I think this is a, a trade that may not work at all because Dion waiters has like no value whatsoever, <laughs> Yeah, but I will say this. I think James Johnson is a Spurs guy because he's a defense uh, first gritty guy. I think he gives you a lot of what they wanted from Marcus Morris this summer. Um, But that being said, I don't think he does it at the clip or or efficiency of Marcus Morris. So I I think that'll be difficult. Here's the thing. The reason why I think this is work, this works. DeMar DeRozan would actually be a good fit next to Jimmy Butler. And the reason why is I think Jimmy Butler would get the best out of DeMar DeRozan. He would Mm. probably score about 21 points, be their next leading scorer. Um, And and I, one thing that people actually don't know, DeMar DeRozan is shooting 50% this year, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. So I think he will keep being efficient in the, the heat uh, lineup. So I think that's, that's big. Uh, and then I think Jimmy Butler likes DeMar and I think will bring out the best of them. So that's why I think that could work. And I also think Dion Waiters just did not work with the Heat, not because he is, uh, I, I, I think he needs, obviously the discipline was a part of it and all of that, but I think he needs to be supported. And I think the Spurs at least will try for a half of summer and then the next year i think if it doesn't work out i think they will waive him and 12 million dollars is a lot easier to waive than 27 from demar DeRozan. so i think that's that's why i want to go with it but then my next trade for demar DeRozan, uh which i don't think will happen because i don't think these players necessarily fit the spurs but i think demar could really help them is detroit pistons and so I have DeMar DeRozan going to the Pistons, and then the Spurs would actually get Reggie Jackson, Thon Maker, and Sly uh, Michulik, Michulik from uh, – I'm butchering that name, but I uh, – Yeah, some salary cap fillers right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, salary cap fillers, but I, I will say this. He's actually the key to it, but I'll, I'll get Oh, okay, in interesting. Um, so the reason why I picked this group, Reggie Jackson is not what the Spurs need, but he is on an expiring contract. And uh, if the very least, he can play the one or the two and be a competent player uh, with any system. Competent, not great, but competent. Thon Maker is in the last year, and we all know the memes of him being the GOAT. 
I actually think that he still has a lot of talent. He just hasn't been in teams that knew how to use him. If anyone can figure out how to use a long rangey uh, center slash forward, it's Greg Popovich. Um, I'm not saying he will be the next Tim Duncan, but I think that he will be a lot better under a very disciplined coach and a very good coach like Greg Popovich. The last person, the Sly uh, Michulik, I, I again, I'm butchering it, but so this guy, everyone was super high on him in the draft, uh, even though he went in the second round because he can shoot the lights out. He was uh, a guy that got drafted by the Lakers, and they only sent him to the Pistons uh, during mid-year because Magic Johnson wanted to jettison as much salary as he could so they could try to to sign Kawhi this this summer. Um, but even though he hasn't been fantastic for the Pistons, he's exactly what the Spurs love. He is. Uh, he is Marco Bellinelli 2.0. Great shooter, can move without the basket. Overall, has just a sharp shooter mentality. It's like you get him the ball on the three-point line, he's going to make the shot. I think he would be fantastic for the Spurs. Yeah, um, sorry, I was just trying to look up how to pronounce this guy's name. <laughs> I, I like your analysis a lot. Um, so I, I'm just going to comment on the first Heat one. Uh, the only reason, and I agree with you on James Johnson, but the reason that this feels like it doesn't work is Dion Waiters yeah. has just completely crushed his trade value. And like th- like the Heat it must be so pissed about this. He's on two years, uh, $12 million. So like uh, this guy is just a waste, right? Like the yeah. best case scenario is the Spurs get him and say, I hope he messes it up so we can just waive him for something and like get yeah. his salary off our books or something. But I just, I, I like Dion waiters at this point, he's less than cap filler. He just, he has no value. And I don't, I don't really know what the heat are going to do with him. Um, yeah, it's tough. The second one I, I like be mostly like, uh, I don't know too much about, um, man, I, I cannot pronounce this guy's name. Mikhail, you Whatever. I'm going to go with, 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 with Sly. Machulik. Machulik. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, 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 the big thing that makes sense here is Reggie Jackson's expiring contract. That's a big one. Um, mm-hmm. If the Spurs are ready to move on from DeRozan, and probably that means LaMarcus Aldridge is he's going to either have to find a new destination or I think he's got like one or two years left, maybe two or three years left. Um, yeah, I don't know his contract. We'll look that up in a second. Wait, Demar um, Derozan? No, sorry, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge. Oh, he has one more year after this. Okay, okay. So I think that maybe he tries. They try to find a new destination for him too. But I think this makes sense just because the Spurs are a savvy team that doesn't really rely too much on the draft to rebuild, and that they can find people that make it work for them. And this yeah. experiment with DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge just didn't really work for them. And so they're just going to be, they're going to move on. Um, and yeah, Thon, Thon Maker, uh, McCurr, uh, I, I'm still not sold on him. Um, I, there are a couple of coaches that I would throw any talented, but not yet uh, found their full potential um, to to a coach and say like i i would hope that something great is going to happen from them and that's like brad stevens uh even nick nurse at this point like he's done a great job at developing role players uh greg popovich and rick carlisle so you know if rick wants a a stab at trying to develop thon i think that actually makes a lot of sense and if thon has that discipline to say like i'm going to buy into the coach's system that that really might work so i really love your analysis here on um, on this trade. And I, I actually think that the trade makes a lot of sense too for the Detroit Pistons because they, they have built a team around winning. And um, I've heard it both ways that maybe they want to move on from Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and rebuild, but you know, maybe throw DeRozan in there and you've got some old school, like nineties basketball right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I, I think it's nineties basketball, but it's super athletic. They can run up and down the floor. Like I, I think, 
they should at least go for one more year of trying it. Uh, I mean, Tom Gores is a billionaire. Like he can afford one more year of being in the, the um, luxury tax, but next year you're going to be able to have a fire sale in a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 I think it would be, it would behoove them since they're like on the outside looking in, just go for broke. And then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, man, I, I've had like such a good time talking with you about trades. We got, we got two more trades lined up. I wanted to talk about Drew Holiday and um, Josh wanted to talk about a potential trade destination with JJ Redick, but I know our podcast has run a little bit long right now. Yeah. Um, let, let's maybe pick this up for the next podcast. Let's really dig into the JJ Redick and the Drew Holiday trade. And, and we could hash that one out because, um, you know, I've, this is actually really uh, compelling, some compelling stuff right here. Finding trades is tough, and I, I really like the trades that you put together. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Let's do it, man. I think, uh, I mean, there's so much that we can go over, and I think even next week uh, uh, Eric and I will do some more research to, sh- to show how convoluted trades can be because uh, we came into a lot of things that really suck. <laughs> on yeah. trying to make these work. So, yeah, so next week, you know, we'll we'll definitely do some analysis on that and and come back with some of our uh uh even more trades with uh the the true players that we think are going to be um you know, on the move by next week or in this season. Awesome. Uh I hope everyone has an excellent holiday, spend it time with spending time with your friends, families, just re-energizing. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We really, really do appreciate your support. Um, so if you haven't already followed us on Twitter and Instagram, we're at the BR underscore podcast. We'll post news updates about our podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, whatever you do with podcasts, wherever you do listen to your podcast. And until next time and possibly until the next, next new year, um, this is Josh and Eric signing off. Take care all. Happy holidays. <laughs>